Hey ladies, welcome to the Yas and Amen podcast, where we talk about growing in our faith with biblical truths, real life testimonies, and meditating on God's word. Now I'm your host, Priscelis Dominguez. Let's get it. Welcome y'all. So today we have Brenna Blaine and I'm going to introduce her and really just excited to have her here for this really, really important topic. I know say really important every time, but really this does matter so much to the church and something that, you know, I haven't really talked about too much in the past. I have a lot of people in, in my life who are LGBTQ, um, whether friends or family, but, you know, I haven't necessarily shared too much about this because, you know, the reality is I don't know a lot and I want to be learning more about what the Bible says, what God says, um, all about this. And so today we have Brenna Blaine. She's a Christian speaker and writer, and we're going to be talking about this topic. And so let me introduce her and then we'll get right into it. So if you look at Brenna Blaine, you might not guess that she works in ministry with a body adorned in tattoos and piercings. She doesn't fit the conservative theology look many have grown up with, but that's just Brenna. Her ministry focuses on providing resources for churches, ministries, and individuals who are seeking to find God in the midst of difficult topics and hard conversations. Whether she's a guest speaking on the weekend, teaching at a conference, or producing podcasts and articles, you will find Brenna inviting you to pursue biblical truth with compassion and conviction. Brenna obtained her BA in theology and biblical studies from Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon, and has lived in the PNW her entire life. I'm pretty sure that's Pacific Northwest. <laughs> While she enjoys the typical PMW things, coffee, hiking, and the rain, her greatest joys are her two sons, Rudy and Rory, and her husband, Austin. While she speaks on many topics, Brenna is especially passionate about God's involvement in our pain and personal struggles, including mental illness, same-sex attraction, and abuse. Okay, so we have Brenna Blaine here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yes, I'm really just so grateful. I know we're going to learn so much. Um, and I'm, yeah, let's just get right into it. Uh, so, you know, the first thing that I wanted to hear from you is mainly just your story. You know, we're going to get into what the Bible says about this topic um, and different things that, you know, even me living in New York City, a very progressive city, have experienced and heard. But I would love to hear mm. your story, um, however that may look for you, what your story has been, um, especially in relation to same-sex attraction. Yeah. So a little bit about myself. I'm 26. I live just outside of Portland, Oregon to the north in Washington state with my husband, Austin, and I have two boys, three-year-old and a seven-month-old, I think at this point, who knows. Um, And I get to stay home with them full-time. And then I also do ministry, some of which includes making room for conversations that we don't often get to have in spaces of faith, much like probably the conversation we're going to have today. Um, And so I'm sure people are saying, hey, you're married to a man. So what does this subject have to do with you? And that's a really great question. And the short answer is that when I was 14 years old, I realized that I was gay. I realized I was attracted to the same sex and I wasn't really sure what that meant for me because I had grown up in a church uh, that held to a historical sexual ethic. And in other words, that that means um, they believe that God's design for marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life. And I had to work through not only my faith, I guess, on a real basic level at that that age, like, do I believe in the God of the Bible that I've grown up being presented? But I also had to ask, do I believe following him does or does not require surrender of what my personal desires would seek um, when we, when we look at scripture. And so from ages 14 to 18 was really the season of wrestling and asking questions and struggling. But overall it, it was, um, when I look back now, it, I can see it was four years of pursuit by God until I came to realize this God is real. The God of the Bible is real and he I believe he has the absolute best, not just for me, but for his creation as a whole. And stepping into that, um, or at least 
conclusion that I came to from reading the Bible and doing research is that stepping into that requires surrender of things that we see maybe as deserved or as desired or as fulfilling things that the world would say um, we should indulge ourselves in. Christ says, hey, I know what's best for you. I made you. And if you're going to be my disciples, right? We see that in Luke 9, 23. He says, if you're going to be my disciples, you must deny yourself and carry your cross. You you have got to trust me. And so I, I wouldn't say I even learned that in, in just that four years. I'd say even up until now, I'm still learning this in um, just incredible ways that I'm so humbled to be in communion in relationship with God and and to get to have these conversations. So that's, that's just a little bit of, of that. Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that just really blessed me that you even came to that conclusion and went on that journey as a teenager. Um, mm. You know, yes, like you grew up in church, but just even that choice of going to try to, yeah, learn and figure out what you believe and figure out where you're going to stand on this as a teenager. Um, that, just, that just amazes me. And it encourages me because I think, um, especially when we think about, uh, you know, I have teenagers in my life that, uh, mm-hmm. especially nowadays, I think, the, I think the, the data is that one in every three teens currently uh, either identify as um they or transgender or part of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. like one in three, which is quite a lot compared to when I was yeah. a teenager, or I'm sure that when you were a teenager. So even just hearing that, I think also gives hope and just like we can believe and trust that like teenagers, maybe not all of them, but oh, some many of them are choosing a journey of like really figuring things out. And I'm sure as adults, mm-hmm. we can like walk alongside them um, and like, you know, help them that they could realize that we, they can trust us in helping them do that. I don't know if you had like adults that encourage you or walk alongside you. Was this journey like by yourself of, um, really like learning about this stuff, figuring it out, or do you, were like there are other people in your life helping you with that? So initially it was a huge seeker. I actually grew up in a, in the theater community and it was a Christian theater community, but there were a lot of LGBTQ identifying people in that and so there's a few people that I felt safe to share with I was not scared um, that my parents would kick me out I knew what my parents believed um, and I felt safe I think I was scared I was I was really struggling with a lot of mental health issues at the same time and so there was a lot of um, maybe like I I guess I'd say like commotion or what felt like a lot of um just overwhelmingness with that. And so I did not want to have that conversation with my parents until I knew for sure what I wanted to do with my life, how I want to live. And so I shared with some friends and um, something I did that teenagers find out the hard way is I thought I could live one way on the internet and keep it a secret. And my small group leader found out um, that, that I was same sex attracted. And she said, Hey, I don't, I don't really know what to do about this. So I told John, who was my youth pastor, and I was terrified to go back to church. And that was like a really special community to me just because of, um, they were just fun and loving and like, it, it was great. And so I was really, really scared to go back. And I, for a while, I thought maybe I just wouldn't. And then I thought, okay, I could go and avoid my youth pastor because it was a pretty big youth group. And that didn't happen. And he said, Hey, Brenna, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. And I thought this is like the end, like he's going to ask me to leave and he's going to tell me like what the church believes and all this stuff. And he sat down, um, and, and he just looked at me and said, hey, Brenna, um, I, I want you to know that so many Christians like struggle with same-sex attraction and they wrestle with this question. You're not alone. And that was the first time I had heard that. Like I thought it, if you're attracted to the same sex, you can't be a Christian or you're not a Christian. That was insane to me. And then he said, um, I love you and I'm so glad you're here. And that was it. That was the shortest conversation. And for me, all of a sudden, it gave me 
it, it made me realize that I was safe to continue wrestling. I didn't make the choice to follow God right then and there um, with my sexuality. I didn't surrender that, but it gave me an opportunity to continue to be in church. So then a year later, they ended up doing a series and uh, is being gay a sin was one of the questions that they asked during the series. And I was so nervous about it. And I heard a nuance I'd never heard before, which has ended up, I think, just absolutely saving my life, which I had spent nights and nights and nights on end being pray, praying to be made straight. I thought that was the only option for me. And this guy had shared about how Jesus was tempted in the New Testament. We see Jesus tempted, but Jesus has never sinned. And so temptation is not a sin. Also, um, if we look at the fruit of the spirit, self-control, if temptation was a sin, self-control wouldn't be, you know, granted through the spirit um, or necessary, I guess I should say. And so he talked about how when, um, like when uh, heterosexual couples get married, for him, he thought he would marry his wife, be attracted to her, no one else. It'd be like, boom. And then he married her and realized, oh man, I'm still attracted to other women, just like I was before we started dating, just like I was maybe sometimes while we were dating. But because I have the Holy Spirit, I can be faithful to this covenant that I made with my wife. Um, and maybe I will always struggle with or have that temptation or that pull, but I can also rely on the Holy Spirit to be faithful. And so we need to believe this for our brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted. They don't need to be made straight. The Holy Spirit can be faithful to them if they want to choose a life of surrender to God. And that, and that was a, the, the time in my life when I went, whoa, wait a second. I have a choice to make. And, and so, um, yeah, that was... And, and everything was still a secret for a long time. You know, I, I never really, I didn't share with my parents or I didn't share publicly until I was about 21 years old. Um, but it was really a pull of God saying, hey, like you felt alone when you were going through this. That's not my plan for other people. So you need to start sharing. Amen. Wow. Praise God for that pastor, that youth pastor. Yeah. <laughs> um that makes me think of kind of just like you were talking about um how people you know say like oh you have to be made straight or things like that like these kind of just like I would say like bad theology right um and then mm, I think yeah. about so here in New York I've had several conversations with people where Christians have used the term that someone who is a Christian um that is choosing so in your example like you that is choosing uh that say some same sex attracted but is choosing to marry the opposite sex is someone choosing to live in the closet um mm. and so what would you and these are christians saying it this is not yeah. these are christians have told me this what would you say to people christians who say that um and you know i don't i don't love or agree with that term but i would i'm i'm more interested in what you think about that term and why you know christians say it and then have you experienced people mistreating you and judging you or condemning you because of how you communicate about this and your choices? So I guess with that first question, being in the closet, um, I would say if this is something we're wrestling with, it's probably revealing in terms of our understanding of scripture. And then also maybe, maybe revealing of our heart posture towards people um, so I guess the first thing I would address is some people will hold this stance because they believe the Bible, um, either that the Bible is affirming or that morality has changed and that God today is affirming. And if that's where you land, I think the easiest thing to say in this moment is that we disagree. And um, I don't think that conversations on the internet usually change people's minds. I think that comes through relationship and time as well as scholarly research. And if it, if it ever does happen, but I would say, even if you, so if you are an affirming Christian, this is what I, I want to say to you. Um, as someone who has had this conversation 
and who has lived a life wrestling with sexuality in the same world that you live in, right? Like we are not experiencing different realities. I would say that the agony and the wrestling and the pain and the loneliness and the hurt that LGBTQ plus people have experienced is not contained just to those who live an affirming lifestyle. And so when you meet someone or have a relationship with someone who shares that they're same-sex attracted, but they have come to the conclusion that the way they want to honor um, a traditional sexual ethic, and, and that means either remaining single or marrying the opposite sex if they do get married, I would say, please, please, please hold space for them and their choice the same way you would hold space for anyone else who has come out and is affirming or who is wrestling and in the process of coming out. Um, I, I think about often how agreed upon it is that outing someone is unkind and not loving and and not the right thing to do that's something that someone needs to make um, do on their own time and their own choice in this conversation even when they make the choice that you don't agree with I I still think it's worth honoring them and being respectful to them um, and I want you to remember that it isn't easy or lighthearted because not only is this a big conversation around sexuality and really your future life and your family, but also for people who have come to the conclusion that the Bible um, holds to a traditional sexual ethic and they want to honor that, that also means they're living a life of surrendering their desires and that it in, involves their belief system, their religion, which is not a small thing at all. And so I would just say, yes, you can disagree. I think healthy conversations around that is important. But to dehumanize or use unkind words when someone is sharing from a personal place when this is their story, they're just not, they're not just not affirming, but they're non-affirming and they're same-sex attracted to just hold grace for them. And then um, the other question you asked, have you experienced people mistreating you, judging you, condemning you for my choice to live this, um, live a traditional sexual ethic and also share online, which I guess is probably the bigger part of that. Um, I would say I remember growing up kind of during what I what I perceived to be the height of the Westboro Baptist protests. And um, I saw them on TV. I think it, I want to say it was before I had the words to describe that I was same-sex attracted. So probably like sixth grade was when I watched it and actually noticed what was going on. And the, and the hate... And the people on that screen just devoid of any sense of kindness or grace or love. And I remember thinking, why the heck would anyone look at this specific group of Christians, but even see all Christians through the lens of them and say or think, oh, yeah, I want to get to know that Jesus or the person they believe in that's insane to me because they held up signs and they shouted things like you're going to hell and they called people the F word. And that's the reality of what the LGBTQ community has endured historically from the church. And that shouldn't have happened. And that shouldn't be happening. That is the truth. Now, maybe you're saying my church wasn't like that, but I also want to say if your church is just saying this is what we believe about marriage, but they're not actually diving into the nuance of, and we also 
acknowledge that there are people, there are Christians that deal with same-sex attraction and they're not pouring into them and they're not learning how to love them or having conversations with them, I think it can be just as damaging. So at the same time, um, I think from my perspective, if you are a queer person or same-sex attracted person that doesn't fit the narrative of what you're supposed to look like or the life you're supposed to choose, especially, I'm, I told you earlier, I'm just outside of Portland, Oregon, it is not uncommon to be shamed or hated for that. So I've been told, I specifically, I would say affirming people by affirming Christians, not necessarily LGBTQ people. This is affirming Christians. I've been told by affirming Christians because of the choice I've made to follow traditional sexual ethic and share that publicly that I'm going to hell. I've been told that um, I contribute to young people's mental illness. I've been told um, people have said terrible things about online, about my sex life and my family and the legitimacy of my husband and I's relationships and my children. And the thing that I, that I think about with that is that anytime you share any opinion online or anything about how you choose to live your life, you're always going to get pushed back. Like that's just how it's going to go. That's just life. But my thing with affirming Christians specifically is that when I look at the New Testament people who have had encounters with Christ, Christ heals them. He um, ministers to them, whatever, or like the woman at the well. And he says, hey, go and tell people about me. They usually go and do two things. They say, I met this man. He gave me freedom. I want you to taste freedom. Come back with me. Or they say, I met this man. And he knew about my life. He knew about my shame. He knew they they shared their testimony. What? never happens in the new testament is that jesus sends someone out and they go to someone and they shame them about the life that they're living and so what i find interesting about that is that i've never been confronted by an affirming christian who said brenna i love you so much i just want you to taste the freedom that christ is offering like i've never been told that i've always been encountered um or people have always come to me out of anger and frustration and i get that with this conversation with how many layers there is to it but if this is something that you believe jesus stands for i want to i want to call to freedom that's what's going to compel me right like if i believe there's freedom in christ man i wish you know and and i would say i think I've done that in my life as well. Like I've shamed people, you know, I haven't made way for the Holy spirit to be alive and fully acting in my life. And, but I, I just think that's interesting that the conversations are all, always out of a place of anger and frustration and unkindness and never out of a place of, Hey, I would love for you to experience this freedom. That's really good. And, and I think too, out of like judgment because of what you said, mm-hmm. of just like, because, you know, I know for me and in spaces um, that I've communicated certain things, it's like, well, I sound judgmental mm. by, by not affirming. But then are you not <laughs> sounding judgmental by mm. telling me, you know, that I'm wrong or that I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying anything bad about anyone. I'm just saying what I believe the Bible says. Right. Mm. So it's just so interesting how it's just like, it's point, we're pointed at a certain way, like people, Christians that um, are non-affirming. Um, and then whether, you know, Christian or not, the affirming, it's like, well, like you're judgmental or like, you know, you're not considering certain things. Um, so I think it, it gets to be a conversation like that. The One of the recent people that mentioned that, like in the closet thing, it was like a conversation but I also saw where it was going and it was not, mm. the person was just not receiving. So that was fine. You know, I just, we're not always going to agree and that's okay. Um, mm. But, but yeah, I think it's interest. It's important for us to hear 
um, you know, specifically like what affirming Christians have like, you know, communicated to you uh, because we can like, even like reflect, like, has there ever been time where I have communicated something um, Mm. where I've shamed someone versus helped them or loved them or showed compassion towards them in that moment? Um, Do I need to repent? Do I need to contact that person? Mm. You know, like really like reflecting on that Um, in in this topic, but also in in, in other ones. Um, And so I love that, you you know, you were talking about that and now going into kind of just like the Bible, like, right? Like what is, because that's, that's the biggest argument is the Bible. People, taking certain scriptures there's quite a lot of books out there um that are like teaching what the bible says quote unquote um but are just really changing scripture you know people use a lot of like well homosexuality wasn't in the bible until like 60 years ago people are loving that argument these days so um so let's let's get into like what the bible says you know about this because that's where affirming non-affirming perspective theology all of our what we think and how we're living and how we're choosing to comes from that yeah so this is a really really great and also a really big question that deserves as much time as you're able to give it so i just say before we jump in if you're someone who has wondered about this I would say, give it more time than just a podcast, like get the books, do the online research, just do, it it deserves a lot of time because it involves language and context and all these things and things that people go to school for, for years. Um, But hopefully here today, what I'm going to try and do is give you a point to some jumping off points for those of you who want to do further research. So the, the place that I think we need to start with with the question, what does the Bible say about same-sex attracted people? Um, is Genesis 1:27, which is that we have been made in the image of God. And that cannot be taken away from you. Therefore, all humans, all humans, all humans, not just LGBTQ people, but also including LGBTQ people, no matter how you live your life, no matter what you do, all humans deserve dignity and respect and love and care. That's where we have to start. Now, maybe you're saying, well, love and care equals agreeing. And if I, I, will, I will offer this humble rebuke, if you believe that loving and caring for someone equals that you have to agree with them. You're not going to be able to walk out your front door for much longer. That's, that's all I'm going to say on that. But there is a really beautiful thing about all humans being made in the image of God. And I think that's something we have to do a lot more reflecting on. Um, and then we'll get into the more theology points or let's say like the the big argument points so in the old testament there are specifically two prohibitions and that is in leviticus 8 22 and 2013 and i'll read those uh leviticus 18 22 says you shall not lie with a male as with a woman it is an abomination and then leviticus 2013 if a man lies with a male As with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. That is not something that sounds great. Um, So I'll just say, when we go through this, I'll just kind of say the affirming, what affirming believers would say about that, and then the rebuttal. So affirming believers with these two passages specifically would look at these and say, the, there's, uh, the first argument is that the Old Testament is no longer binding. And if you think about Jesus coming back and fulfilling the law, it might, it might be like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. But there's some specific things about the law in the Old Testament that we need to look at. And so the Old Testament law is broken up into three different types. Ceremonial, which has a lot to do with the way food is prepared and menstrual cycles and sex and and stuff like that then there's civil laws um i think it would be the tattooing specifically that's more civil because of the the way that 
the surrounding peoples lived. If you had tattoos, it looked like you were worshiping similar gods to them. So that would be an example of civil law. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And then there's moral law. And so when you read the New Testament, you will see several clear pictures from Jesus, from Paul, and from other New Testament writers that would say Christians today, even after the coming of Jesus, are to uphold moral law. While um, the coming of Christ has fulfilled civil and ceremonial law. So like, um, that's why people say you can get tattoos now. That's why this is a graphic one, but it always comes up. That's why women can have sex on their period. Um, Then there is the question with these verses of exploitation. So are these verses just talking about rape or pedophilia? And the first thing is to say, well, of course, the Bible does prohibit exploitation, especially of oppressed people. If you want to see the beauty in the care of God and his heart for people who have been easily exploited, especially women, I would say study the Old Testament, specifically the Old Testament laws and the language they were written in. I just heard a lecture and by Dr. Sandra Richter, and it was the most beautiful, mind-blowing lecture I'd ever heard of. But there, there, there's a lot in that that we can't get just from reading the ESV or the NIV. We don't get the depth of that. Um, but anyways, going on, there isn't anything in those texts um, that would suggest it limits those um, prohibitions just to interactions of exploitation. So that's the Old Testament. Then New Testament prohibitions, there's a few more than the Old Testament. It'd be Romans 1, 26 through 27, 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10, and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. So let me read those really quick. Gotta go through my notes. Okay. Romans 1, 26 through 27. For this reason, God gave them up to the to their dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Then 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual, moral, nor adulterer, all, wow, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Then First Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners and the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So, Something that you mentioned earlier that is gaining more and more traction right now and that we heard in those last two verses is that the fact um, that the term homosexuality was not introduced into the English translations of the Bible until 1946. There's a whole documentary about it. And a lot of people are saying when they hear this, is this true? This is where we have to start practicing critical thinking. Because you say, is this true? And the answer is, it is. But we can't stop there. When we hear that it is, um, it's almost easy to panic and forget to engage this information, right, under a critical lens. But when you do that, you find out some really interesting things. So the short version of this is that as time goes on 
with biblical translations. So that's what we're going to focus on. When time goes on, we get better at understanding language and we unearth, like quite literally unearth more information about the original text. And so in 1946, a team of scholars felt that the translation in these verses would most accurately be the English word homosexual or homosexual homosexuality, which is wrong. So we have to ask why. Well, what is the opposite of homosexual? It's heterosexual, which is interesting because those terms describe an attraction. They're not actually describing an action. So it would be weird if we ever translated anything to heterosexual or heterosexuality. Do heterosexuality or hetero, sorry, heterosexual people commit sins? Yes. But it would be such a broad term. It would, it would be, it's, it's a really poor word choice for that. Those terms describe an attraction, not an action. And while you read everything else in those verses, they describe an action either of the body or the heart of the mind, right? Committing sin of the body or the heart of the mind. And so affirming people have taken this mistake and said, um, which honestly, it's brilliant, but this, they say, well, this, um, the actual translation, because this is wrong, the actual translation is the 1500s Germanic language translation, uh, that would be like the, the Luther translation, wrote, that would translate this term into pedophilia. But the two main flaws with that is that first, um, it's really interesting. That is a default to a time-tested and failed view. As I said earlier, as time goes by and our understanding of language grows and we discover more of Greek and Hebrew texts in the original texts that help us to better understand the language as it was written and as it was meant to be heard, defaulting to a 1500s translation would be very similar to me today saying something along the lines of, I don't think that the COVID, the COVID vaccine is helping me. And so I'm actually going to go and leech my body. Like it doesn't make sense to default to a method used at a time that had much less evidence and knowledge of the language compared to today. The second flaw that is there. Um, is that uh, are many Greek words used for explaining and describing pedophilia, and none of them are used in any of these verses. And the interesting thing about that is now many affirming scholars uh, have actually come to agree with this point a lot of affirming scholars who studied the language say there there can't really be an argument for affirming sexuality um, from the Bible. So Lewis Crompton and Bill Loader are just two of those affirming scholars who write about this in books, if you want to look that up. Um, and so that that right there is just encompassing the action part, right? Like, can I have sex with the same sex? Can I get married and be in a relationship with a person of the same sex? That's what that covers. So let's jump into really quick the attraction and temptation part. Um, we talked about it earlier. Jesus in Matthew 4, we see that he was tempted and that was not a sin. Some people believe just being same-sex attracted, having that attraction and temptation is a sin. And I look at that and I say, if God meant to relieve all humans of temptation while on this broken earth, it wouldn't really make sense for self-control um, to be a fruit of the spirit. It just wouldn't be needed. But also we see in 1 first Corinthians 10 13 it says no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted okay they're not saying but when you're tempted it's a sin it says this but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can endure go through it make it out the other end so you do not need to be made straight 
if you are a same-sex attracted person and you're hearing this, I pray that you feel comfort and, and relief. God is not calling you to be straight. It's not, I think Jackie Hill Perry calls it a gospel of heterosexuality. That's not what it is. There's no salvation tied to straightness. However, in my same-sex attraction, when I look at this verse in Corinthians, I do have to surrender and lean on God and the Holy Spirit to sustain me. And he will. That's the promise in that verse. And so maybe I'll always have this temptation. Um, I don't know. If God took it from me, that would be amazing. If God left it until I got to heaven, that would also be okay because he is faithful. So maybe I'll always have this temptation. But because of the Holy Spirit, I believe same-sex attracted people can still be faithful to Christ. And that is it for my little (laughs) overview of the theology. (laughs) No, that was, um, thank you for that. I think especially because you touched on both sides, right? I think that's really important when we're ministering to people and having compassion and wanting to have communication and conversations, um, either that we're willing to hear the other side or that we ourselves already have an understanding of the other side. Mm. Um, and we know kind of like where we land in all of that. So I think that's really important. And you just even talking about, yeah, the term homosexuality and, and talking about critical thinking. Um, well, first, just to say like documentaries, the, the goal of a documentary is to convince you what they're trying to say. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. so we always have to be very discerning when we watch any kind of documentary. I, I always watch mm-hmm. documentary. I'm like, okay, they have an agenda. Um, you know, I'm yeah. going to watch this with a very discerning ears and eyes because that their agenda, they have a goal <laughs> and then they're going to reach mm. it. So that's where critical thinking is really important when we're watching a documentary or having a conversation or reading an article or hearing a podcast, Mm -hmm. even this podcast, like, don't just, you know, listen to me and Brenna and just be like, well, okay, I agree that they're completely right. Like go to the scriptures that were, that were mentioned, right? Like really pray about this. Um, Think about it, have conversations because thankfully God didn't put robots on earth to just like, Mm, you know, follow and listen, anything like we get to have, um, you know, be curious and wrestle and figure things out for, for ourselves and come to an understanding for ourselves, especially, but through the lens of the Bible, right. And really look at it, looking at it soundly, contextually, historically, culturally, all of these. Um, Mm. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, And, and the last question is, is, you know, how can the church how, and when I say the church, I mean people in church, but I also mean Christians in their everyday life, um, whether they're mm. part of a church or not. The church um, can communicate with compassion to the people that they love who are LGBTQ or people perhaps that they meet they, that they personally don't know about, um, you know, to the LGBTQ community. I would say go with Pastor Young, uh, Youth Pastor John's way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you specifically say to the church and how we can just um, improve in this and communication? Um, I actually heard your, I, I watched your video recently that you and your husband sharing. Um, and I really mm-hmm. loved how you were saying like, you know, all these, there's often like these relationship series and all these different things and churches are just not equipped to serve yeah. people, um, whether they're married or not. And so I would say that for me, that's, I agree. That's definitely something that the church can be doing. Um, to improve, but what would it be other things perhaps that you would say that to, so the church can be communicating compassion and communicating well to this community? Yeah, so there is like a weird thing that even I've experienced because I think people have read some, like haven't done their research, I guess I would say for lack of better words, and looked at maybe my stuff and just saw something about me talking about being gay and then not reading and like I've gotten messages from people who are like you are going to hell repent and I'm like let's talk about that and then and then they realize they we actually agree with the theology but every time I've gotten I think that's happened three times I'm like whoa whoa I don't know you I don't know you from anyone else on this planet. And so my 
first thing would say, do relationship first and minister to the people who God has brought in into your life. Do not get on the internet and look for someone to smack in the face with the Bible. Do not walk across the room and look for someone to offend. Like, don't do that. That's not, that's not going to work. Do relationships Like in New first. York, don't go to the pride parade and- Yeah, yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Don't do that. Do not do that. Just be in relationship with the, the people that God has brought into your life. And please don't have an agenda other than being Christ to them. And I will talk about that a little bit more in depth here in a second. But they, they might ask you questions about what you believe. Maybe it's coworker or maybe your kids go to school together um, and don't lie. Like, but I wouldn't say like your first 30 conversations shouldn't necessarily be about their sex life and, and sexuality and what they believe on that. But, but as they ask you, don't lie, be honest. But if you're bringing this up and you're calling out their sin before you ever tell them, about the hope and freedom that you have in your savior. That is the wrong order. And my favorite example of this in scripture is Levi, the tax collector. Um, And for a little bit of context, tax collectors were typically Jewish people who kind of like sold out to Rome. And so other Jewish people really hated tax collectors because they saw them as traitors. And so Levi, the tax collector, is on the side of the road doing his business, and Jesus goes up to him. And I can imagine every Jewish person person in the community who's watching this happen is like, oh my gosh, finally, this rabbi is going to call him out and tell him to stop exploiting us, to stop being rude to us, blah, 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 whatever. And the only thing that Jesus says to Levi is, follow me. And Levi gets up and he spends a day with Jesus. And, and if you read ahead, it, it says that that night Jesus was dining, was eating a meal with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And I think, how did that happen? And I'm guessing that probably other people who had judgments about Jesus, oh, he would hate my lifestyle. Oh, he wouldn't love me, blah, blah, blah. See him just being a regular kind person to Levi and go, oh, maybe I misjudged him. So then they're willing to eat a meal with him. And if you know your Bible, Levi becomes Matthew, one of Jesus's disciples. And how does that happen? Jesus invites Levi to just do life with him. And through Jesus living truth, and grace embodying it perfectly all at once which we cannot do perfectly but we can hold an effort because we have the holy spirit math uh levi experiences truth and and is compelled out of kindness and seeing the freedom in christ to leave his old life and to become matthew and to literally follow christ with his life so live your life, and love well. And lastly, do not hold non-Christians to Christian standards. That is the wrong order. That is the cart before the horse. Um, Be honest when they ask. You don't have to lie. But be humble and be kind and hold grace. That's it. Yes. Thank you so much for that, Brenna. I... Hope we hear it. Hope we do it well. Um, I think um, the church, yeah, has a lot of growing to do um, in this area. And I thank you for you and your testimony and how God has moved in you and um, through your family and just your willingness to be bold with what you believe in. Um, Yeah, I really, I, I learned so much at this time and I'm just reflecting now and thinking about like how I can be, you know, better and do better and, and just, approach people in a different way right mm. um we could the thing is is that we can always sometimes we can be like well i'm being you know christ-like or i'm being christian we can there's always more compassion we can have we can mm. always be kinder we can actually always 
do something more, right? We can have more self-control. We can have, uh, we can express more joy. And so there's always more opportunity to do more. Mm -hmm. Um, So I pray that that, that's how, you know, people hear this, especially people perhaps that are not in the LGBTQ community, um, whether affirming or not, that they can just be more of what Christ like it, Christ is Mm -hmm. to people, right? Um, Exemplifying love in major ways. So Thank you. Thank you. Um, please tell people where they can find you. Um, I know you have a podcast too, so you can just share, share your things. Yes. So I am on Instagram and that's where the majority of everything I do is filtered through. So you can look up Brenna Blaine, B-L-A-I-N, no E. I'm the only Brenna Blaine spelled that way in North America. So it's easy to find me. Um, or my handle is at bun on my head I don't I will never change it there's not really a reason behind that but there's that and then I have a podcast called can I say that you can find it on Instagram can I say that show and our whole pursuit is to have conversations that we do not typically have in the church about taboo topics and difficult conversations because we deeply believe that God cares about difficult topics and these things that feel scary to deal with we we believe that god loves that yeah amen thank you so much um i really do appreciate it i know so many people are going to be blessed Uh, i'm going to put all the scriptures and this information you shared um in the show notes so like we said get into it more study it more Mm, you know this is not just a one-off it is like whoa that's it i know all of the theology to know about all of this right like it's an ever-growing journey of us just continuing to also learn about this just as we would for any other topic um, within the kingdom of God. So thank you, Brenna. I really do appreciate your time. It was so fun to do this. I was so excited. And so thank you for listening. If you got through it without getting angry, I thank you for your graciousness and listening to me. And I'd, I'd love to meet you and meet you through the internet and have a conversation with you. So thank you so much. Y'all, I pray that conversation blessed you and that you're able to apply something you either learned or heard to your continued growth on your faith journey. I invite you to study more on the scriptures we talked about on this episode and don't let any conviction you experience go without prayer and action. Share any thoughts or testimonies you may have by leaving us a rate or review and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Meet us next time for another episode and if you don't already, follow us on Instagram following at PD or at we.r.fool to learn more about our growing community and get connected with us.